0: Good afternoon. My name is Beatrice, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the ninth call in Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies series of election prognostications and insights. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers this afternoon are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. All phone lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. If you have questions during the call, submit them via email to Cozen.com. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. Blake Rutherford, you may begin your conference...
1: Thank you very much, and thanks again to everyone who's joined us in uh, what is our ninth call. Uh, I'm here with Mark Alderman and Howard Schweitzer. Mark, Howard, great to be with you. Good to be back. Uh, here we are. It, we began this this endeavor right after the New Hampshire primary, and it is now June 8th. And aside from one more contest in the District of Columbia, where we all sit today. Uh, the presidential primary season is over in terms of elections, but the dynamics are, I think, far from settled. Um, Mark, I want to start with last night's contest, particularly in California and New Jersey. Um, we have, at least uh, by the delegate count, Uh, determined that for the first time in 240 years, a female will be a major political party's nominee for president. It looks like Hillary Clinton is headed to Philadelphia with a lot of momentum after a big win in California. I thought we might just begin. What's your reaction to the races from last night? What are your takeaways?
2: I think it's very hard to overstate how important Secretary Clinton's win in California was. It was a double-digit win in a state in which one out of every six Democrats in the country reside, and it put an end, I think and I hope, to the fantasy that Sanders could somehow yet prevail and snatch this nomination from her. Had she lost, she was still going to be the nominee, but she was going to limp into the convention and she was going to have to deal with Senator Sanders for a longer period and I'm sure a uh, less pleasant period. I think winning in California last night, as she did, is going to enable us to put this party together in shorter order. I don't think it happens overnight. And I think that it is uh, on to November. We've known for a long time that she was eventually going to get there. It's, it's a very good thing that she got there the way she did last night. Well, it was a big win. Looks like um, if, the, if the reporting stays the way that it is, she's going
1: to end up winning California by 13 points, 13, 14 points when it's all said and done. Polling, you and I talked about this yeah. just yesterday. Yeah suggested that this was a race within the margin of error, so a bad night for the pollsters in California. Um, It was a a resounding victory there and a resounding victory in New Jersey, the other big
2: contest. Yeah, as expected though. Right. New Jersey was never going to be close, I didn't think. Uh, The pollsters got that one more or less right. They've gotten a lot wrong on both sides uh, throughout this season, but sure, New Jersey was important and California even more so because look what she now takes to the convention and look what she now takes to the table when she sits down with Senator Sanders and let me just interrupt myself to praise Senator Sanders and the phenomenon that his campaign was. We have to honor the man for what he accomplished. We have to respect the agenda that he so triumphantly pushed through these primaries, but he lost. (laughs) She got 3.5 million more votes than he did. She got 400 more pledged delegates than he did. She won a majority of the pledged delegates. She won more than he did. The only metric by which Senator Sanders prevailed was in the crowd size, and if that's going to be how we pick uh, a nominee, then
3: I am nominating Bruce Springsteen
2: to run for president, <laughs> which, I which is not the worst idea I've ever had.
3: I mean, Mark, I, I agree with almost everything you said. You don't like the Springsteen part? Well, I, I'm, I'm from Jersey, so of course I like the Springsteen part, but um, I'm not sure Bernie's all that excited. That excited about um, your congratulations, but um, I, I think he also succeeded in running a campaign that people um, gravitated to more, and that's not just 27,000 people showing up in the park in, in Manhattan. It's he had his negatives were um, much lower than than hers um, so there's a metric where he succeeded in, in doing better look she won I mean she was winning she won two months ago there was never any doubt about this but I think he exposed through the campaign um, some things about her weaknesses that um, are really going to hurt her going into the general
1: is, is that right mark or is it that that Bernie Bernie's success is because, look, he's still lost by a wide margin in the context of how you measure Democratic presidential primaries. I mean, losing by nearly 400 pledged delegates doesn't well, seem like a lot. That's a lot. It's and, a lot. And uh, his success, however, and this is uh, as he looks to whatever his next chapter is, and he's got an important meeting Coming up with President Obama, which I want to, which I want to get your thoughts and perspective on. But it seems to me that his next chapter is issue centric. And one thing that to your point, Howard, he succeeded very well, not just in drawing large crowds, but, but he succeeded in framing issues that are now central to the Democratic Party's platform in 2016. I'm talking about reforming Wall Street. I'm talking about anti-free trade. And I'm talking about income inequality.
2: And electoral reform within the party. The the notion of superdelegates. So Senator Sanders has to get (laughs) home to Burlington He and everyone involved on both sides has to get some rest, and then he's got to decide how he wants to be remembered. It is legacy time for Bernie Sanders. He has had a distinguished five-decade career. It has peaked with this performance in these primaries. It doesn't get any better than this, and now he has to decide whether he wants to be remembered as the man who gave America President Trump, and I don't think he does, or, to your point, Blake, the man who set the post-Obama agenda for the Democratic Party. That is his to claim if he chooses to, and I believe that's exactly where this goes. I think he stops running for president, but he doesn't stop running for these issues to be recognized and included and incorporated in the party rules and the party platform and in Secretary Clinton's campaign.
3: I guess, can I just comment on that? I I guess I just don't see it that way. I I know, Mark, you have this view that she's got to skew to the left and she's got to run to the left in the general, but he wasn't a Democrat a year ago or a year and a half ago. Why does the Democratic Party have to kowtow to a guy that, frankly, I mean, he did well. He ran a great campaign, um, but his he did much better in the open primaries than he did in the Democratic primaries. Right. He succeeded in getting the independent voter to vote for him, not the Democratic voter. He run a, he ran a great campaign, but why should the Democratic Party? Bow to Bernie I mean I don't see any legacy is,
1: is it bowing to Bernie or is it to you know to sort of build up on your point and I'm want to get uh, added reaction to you mark I mean just a a shifting landscape the Democratic Party is deciding in the age of Bernie to adhere to a new framework for public policy discussion and it is prioritizing itself, or so it would seem, yeah. around some big issues that are central to his political life, less so than they were hers when she began this campaign. But you both have been a part of a lot of these. These things evolved. The issues that define you 14 months ago when she got into this race are not necessarily the issues that are driving the debate leading into a general election
2: well I think to Howard's question why the Democratic Party needs to kowtow to Bernie the short and simple answer is it doesn't but that's not what it's going to do it's not what I'm talking about two things about that one is and this is what you said Howard Senator Sanders succeeded in bringing into the Democratic primary process a great number of independents in the open elections who supported Senator Sanders' agenda. Those are the people who picked the president. The president gets picked by 15% of the voters in 10 states. And Senator Sanders was a more attractive candidate than Secretary Clinton to those people, and for simple electoral reasons, the party and the Clinton campaign need to recognize and and acknowledge that. But beyond that, there isn't that much daylight between Senator Sanders on his central issues and Secretary Clinton. This is not a matter of capitulating on principles of Bernie Sanders. He wants a $15 minimum wage. So does she. He wants Wall Street reform. So does she. He wants a repeal of Citizens United. So does she. Citizens United, we all remember, is a case about Hillary Clinton she lost that case she's all for having that repealed so i don't see it as a surrender at all i see it as an inclusion
3: oh of God. those ideas in in this party i couldn't disagree look at i couldn't disagree more look at the platform committee look at who he put on the platform committee on an issue like policy in the middle east which is obviously something she's going to have to confront as
2: if she's elected it's a big tent and they're going to have to we are going to have to confront that in Philadelphia just as ex of Donald Trump I, uh, we can get started on him anytime <laughs> you're
0: ready Blake <laughs>
2: but ex of Donald Trump the Republican Party has had to within its tent contend at the platform level with the issue of abortion and, and many others this is democracy This is including people inside the tent instead of pushing them out. And I just think you're dramatically overstating the daylight
3: between him and her.
2: But we'll find out.
3: I actually had to walk into his office and negotiate with him. I think there's more daylight than you think there is. But. So he's
2: not the most pleasant person from this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for all. So they went through the And, I, and I, don't want, I, I don't want the narrative of her victory to get lost in our discussion because for all the talk about the challenges of that campaign, the success metric is pretty simple. Did you win or did you lose? And she won. and By finished. a lot. By a lot. In, In
2: a system, I need to say this, that despite Donald Trump's attempt to court Sanders supporters by calling the process rigged, it wasn't rigged. There were attempts with the debates to do a little rigging, but she didn't win because it was rigged, because the superdelegates are irrelevant to her victory. And, in fact, the caucuses, which are arguably a rigged dimension of this, favored Senator Sanders. So she won by a lot according to fair and square rules, and we shouldn't lose that in this debate.
3: I I Actually, I don't hate to keep disagreeing with you. I enjoy for it. To keep to keep disagreeing with you. But, I mean, look, the, the superdelegates absolutely had – they had a narrative impact on her campaign, if nothing else. Because we were sitting here saying three months ago or two months ago, the cake is baked. So you, I think it's wrong that they had no impact on her campaign from that point of view. From a, in, in terms of the superdelegates and the system being rigged, it seems to me that the electoral reform that may be coming in the Democratic Party, you may get rid of the superdelegates, but you also perhaps think about the open primaries because without the open primaries he's not even in the conversation. He's not even in this conversation.
2: But I think we will move towards not away from open primaries because I think Senator Sanders has demonstrated that it is a way to open up the party. I'm repeating myself to the fifteen percent in ten states who picked the president. I
3: think the one other data point that I'll mention here, Blake, to your point about the strength of her victory is she won in very important states. If you look at if you look ahead to the general and I know we're gonna get there later on, but you look ahead to the right. general and the battleground states in the general, she dominated at the primary level in the states that are the battleground states for the general. That's right. Which to me is a real point of strength for her as she looks ahead to the next five months.
2: She lost Michigan.
3: Michigan and Colorado. She lost Colorado. She actually she lost New Hampshire. She lost Iowa. Virginia. Yeah, New Hampshire I mean she won Florida, Ohio, there. Pennsylvania, Virginia. She won the elections
2: decided.
1: Yeah. yeah. So if you're Mark, if you if you're sitting in you know, Bernie Sanders' home in, in Vermont today, um and you're charting out what the next ten days for your campaign look like. What kind of advice are you giving him?
2: Well, if I am actually yeah, sitting there, there, you are sitting there. <laughs> not sure the people <laughs> sitting there are giving him the same advice that I would. But I would say to him a couple of things, and I fundamentally said it uh, a minute ago. First, I would say to him, run right through DC. Absolutely, run right through the end of this primary season. You started it. You've said every vote counts, and it does run right through D.C. And then sit down with Secretary Clinton and figure this thing out. The issues that you have brought to this primary season should be included and incorporated in the Democratic platform and rules at the convention. Sit down and figure it out and get behind her and let your legacy be, I keep using that word, but for a 74-year-old guy who a year ago, sort of like the other nominee, who a year ago was at 1%, this is his moment. This is his moment to move the needle, and I would tell him to sit down and do it before it gets away.
1: There is some there is some talk, Mark, about about whether Sanders will push forward with some not only not only structural changes to, to the way Democrats nominate, um, nominate uh, their leader, but also what the role of Debbie Washington Schultz is going to be moving forward. What do you make of that dynamic? Is that a, is that a fight Bernie Sanders needs to wage at this point?
2: Whether he needs to wage it or not, I suspect he will. And we've said in these calls before, usual uh, stipulations, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is a friend and a colleague, and I admire and respect her, and she has a very short time left as chair of the Democratic National Committee. She is going to be a casualty of this primary season.
1: And what do we make of this meeting, but between um, Bernie Sanders and the president coming up. What, is this just kind of the beginning of this process, or do you
2: expect there to be some real substance? I think it's the beginning of the process more than than the end. Maybe it's the end of the beginning of the process. It is certainly not the end. Because among other things, and I take this very seriously, there's one more election right mm-hmm. here in the district next Tuesday. But I think this is the beginning of a dialogue in which Secretary Clinton and the President and Senator Sanders are going to figure this thing out. And the President is obviously intending to endorse Secretary Clinton. He is obviously intending to mix it up on the trail this fall, if not sooner. And he needs to sit down, as he is doing with Senator Sanders, and get that squared away, not necessarily on Thursday, before he can do all of that.
1: And if uh,
2: you were there in 2008, it
1: took Hillary Clinton, I think, three days, four before uh, the meeting at Senator Dianne Feinstein's house, where she and then-Senator Obama um, worked it all out and began um, to move towards harmony and unif- party unification. Harmony, New Hampshire. Harmony, New Hampshire, and party unification. Based on that perspective and what you're seeing, what you're seeing right now, I, you've explained what you would advise Bernie to do if you were there. Let's flip this around a little bit. If, if you were predicting, do you anticipate a peaceful, democratic? convention in Philadelphia, or are we going to have some sparring taking place between Sanders
2: and Sanders delegates in Clinton delegates? Oh, I anticipate both. Yeah. I, I don't think those are mutually exclusive categories. We are going to leave Philadelphia a party united in its determination to deny Donald Trump the presidency, but between now and then, it's going to take a little longer for Senator Sanders than it did for Secretary Clinton, then Senator Clinton, for all sorts of reasons. Again, it's not even over yet. And yeah, there'll be some sparring on some platform issues and on some party rules, but I don't think we're gonna see the kind of discord that we did in 1980 I don't expect Senator Sanders to get up and give a speech in which he condemns the party's nominee as Ted Kennedy did with Jimmy Carter in 1980. That's not that's not what this is going to look like. But I,
3: I would argue it matters a lot less now than it did in than it did 8 years ago. What do you mean? I mean 8 years ago you were talking about the loser being the wife of a former President, who was un- inarguably the most popular figure in the Democratic Party in the United States of America, so, next to Barack Obama, I guess, at that point. So I-, I think the dynamics were very different. You were talking about somebody who was a almost lifelong, adult lifelong Democrat. Um, again, back to my point about Sanders not really being a Democrat. She, she needs to win in November. That's all this is about for her. She doesn't want him to be part of her administration. Maybe they'll cut some sort of a deal and she will be. She doesn't want his acerbic approach to Washington to be part of her administration. She doesn't want, yes, Mark, she may agree with him on some core kind of basic philosophical issues, but she doesn't want, she's not going to go out and campaign on free college for everybody because Oh, no, she said that. And you're right. She the She wants nothing to do with him other than to get his voters to come along. I think that's a little extreme. This two things. The
2: first imperative of a campaign is
3: to win. And
2: yes, she needs to do what she needs to do to get elected in November, and that includes Senator Sanders. But secondly, I I just think you're overstating the animosity between these two people and the two sides of the party. This is not Jack Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, and they managed to get themselves elected. I think it's going to be a little bit smoother than that, but I'm not suggesting for a moment that if Senator Sanders were irrelevant to her election, I'm not suggesting for a moment <laughs> that she would be looking to Senator Feinstein to put them together at her house.
1: Well, it'll it, it'll be interesting. I think that, um, that you know, as as sort of the world turns in this race, um, every day will will offer perhaps a new dynamic. And when we have a story just published in Politico today about about the. Sanders in some ways struggle for for how to to come to really come down from a loss Mark I mean you know you were on the you were on the winning side in 08 but I think you would agree but not 04 Right but not 04 and when you are close it is very ha- it is very difficult very to let hard go to let
2: go Right. It is very hard to let go he had 27,000 people in Prospect Park telling him that he should be president and everywhere he went the same. And it's going to take a a little while for him to let go of all that. I think that it may even take a little longer than it would take others because we have to remember this wasn't Plan A. When he began running, Plan A was somehow survive. Iowa and New Hampshire and see what happens. So there was no plan B to this plan A, because this was never what they planned. And you know Blake from having been involved, nothing moves faster in politics than a presidential campaign. He hasn't had a minute to sit down and think. When he does,
3: I think this is going to become clearer. Right.
0: Look,
3: I, just to offer one more thought he yeah I, mean, like I I don't like him I don't like him but I admire the fact he won the authenticity battle in this election yeah um and it's it's impressive that he did so basically stringing his campaign together day by day by day and well what he did and you've pointed this out Howard I'm going to use your point uh,
2: Back uh, with you. The most impressive thing he did was raise all that money. Yeah. That that is why this was never Plan A. He Never thought he would have the money to do this, and he did. And that that was to me the most impressive achievement
3: of the Sanders camp. Yeah, the second most. The most impressive was. Well, it's not his campaign, but Larry David's impersonation of Bernie Sanders, <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> I think, is the most impressive uh, we'll thing. Back, we'll come back. Once, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll circle back because I do want to get some of your your sort of thoughts on kind of defining moments of the primary season. But I want to I want to pivot to the Republicans. Um, before we do that, as always, questions. Please email us presidential analysis at cozen.com. Uh, we've got a couple in that I'll get to here in a minute. But Howard, I, I want to come to you. Um, Donald Trump has been the presumptive nominee of the Republican Party for almost five weeks now. And I, I, I don't want to overstate it in terms of, uh, of offering a loaded question to you, but, but I think it's rather clear that he, he didn't have a good week um, this past week and he has created some serious tension, at least among the leadership of his party. I'm obviously talking about the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, um, and others over his comments about the judge in the Trump University case. Um, What do you make of this latest Donald Trump Dilemma. I mean, we have talked time and again on these calls about dilemmas for him, and then it goes away. Uh, yeah.
2: This one seems
1: much more problematic, though, but I want to get your reactions to what's happening on the Republican side. Well,
3: I, I keep going back to the notion that if you're Paul Ryan, if you're Mitch McConnell, you're thinking about how to preserve your majorities in Congress that they they could care less whether Donald Trump is elected president of the United States. In fact, I think if you could have an honest conversation with both of them, especially Paul Ryan, because of 2020, he might prefer that Hillary wins um, rather than just not caring. But I don't think either, I don't think any of them care about Donald Trump winning. I think they care about preserving their majorities. And their political calculus is is all around that. I don't think there's anything surprising to to Paul Ryan about the fact that this day would come. I don't think he expected it to come, you know, a week or two after saying he would vote for him. Um, but but I think the the line that that the Republican Party is is trying to walk, they're trying to they can't win these seats without the people that are absolutely, definitively voting for Trump. So they can't run away from Trump politically. At the same time, they can't win without pulling in some of the people who are rightfully and appropriately turned off by the nature of his remarks. So they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, which is a very, very bad place to be politically, but I think that's what's going on.
1: Yeah, here's what McConnell said. We have plenty of issues, and my advice to our nominee, speaking of Trump, would be to start talking about the issues that the American people care about and to start doing it now. In addition to that, it's time to quit attacking various people that you competed with or with various minority groups in the country and get on
2: message. This election is eminently winnable. Mark, what's your reaction to that? Well, two things. This election is eminently winnable. I was saying to you earlier that last night all sorts of friends on the Democratic side were emailing and texting, it's over, we won, she can't lose. And all I sent back to everybody was three words, Dewey beats Truman. This isn't over until November 8th when the votes are counted And it's a long time until then. Anything can happen. Donald Trump can still get elected president. However, having said that, I think that Leader McConnell, Speaker Ryan are trying to do the impossible. They are trying to square the circle. They're trying to unring the bell. Donald Trump is a racist. Donald Trump wants to ban Muslims based on their religious belief. Donald Trump lied to the American people and said he didn't know who David Duke was and he wasn't familiar with the Ku Klux Klan. Donald Trump said that Judge Curiel is prejudiced against him because his parents, not Trump's, the judges, were Mexican. Donald Trump is a racist, and Brian and McConnell and too many other Republicans are trying to have it both ways by talking about message and discipline and issues, and that isn't the issue at all. The issue is whether these men are going to support an un-American candidate for president or whether, as Howard says, to preserve what is rightfully theirs, they went out and won it, the majority of the Senate and the majority of the House they got to cut this guy loose.
3: I, I think the dialogue around this is, is wrong altogether. Um, and it goes to what Mark was just saying. I mean, if you watch the news programs over the last couple of days, the, the, even the media keeps peppering um, public figures with questions about whether his remarks were racist whether they were racial remarks. That's a different question than asking whether he's a racist. And I think that question needs to be asked, and it's fair game. And and you don't think it's been an answered? I don't think that, to your you point... He has answered it? I think he has, t- for me. But I think, to your point, that's that that conversation is not taking place. It's different than... Right. Categorizing the particular remarks, um, I will say, look, we've seen, I mean, he called Mexicans rapists and murderers, too, and that didn't stick to him. Um, I think the distinction here is this is, about his, this is about the Trump University case. This isn't about building a wall to keep rapists Not and murderers out, away from Americans. This is about him. And maybe this sticks to him a little bit more as a result, but I think the narrative here, I, I don't think the people that voted for him in the primary care. I think to, to them the narrative is still um, a guy who's willing to defy convention and question any institution, including United States federal judges. Well, and
2: I, I have to make my usual caveat that I am not that – familiar with the people who voted for Donald Trump in the primary, but the very few of them whom I know are horrified. Yeah, it's horrified. Horrified and are wondering what they can do now. Maybe maybe he's Teflon again. Maybe this is the tipping point. But I, I think that it is cumulative and it is Race, race is the American dilemma, as a famous book of that name is titled, and he ha- has three or more times now crossed the line on race. I, I don't know that
3: that he gets to unring this. Look, book. I, I, on a personal level, I couldn't agree with you more, um, but on a political level. We'll, uh, well, yeah, we'll, right, find we'll, we'll find out. Right, we'll find out because
2: beats Trump?
1: right? Well, well, and we're starting to see. I mean, Mark, your, you know, your declaration that that Republicans ought to cut ought to cut Trump loose. I mean, Senator Mark Kirk of Illinois, who's in a very tough race um, this fall, has already uh, abandoned his support for Donald Trump. Um, arguably, the the biggest um, Republican uh, to do so. Um, and you did have to the distinction that you made, Howard. I mean, you had a stern comment from Paul Ryan that said the textbook definition of a racist comment right, is what Donald right. Trump said. Um, so I mean, I right on four, right? But right, still, well, with all right. So that's that's where I, that's where I'm going with this, which is you still only have Mark Kirk stepping out and saying yeah. I'm done with this guy. Yeah. But you have. Republicans trying to thread this needle of denouncing the comment, but not the man. And I wonder, Howard, as we look at the demographics towards a general election, we have talked about a lot on this call the need for Republicans, at least in their own mind, because I'm reverting back to the memo that the Republican National Committee put together after the 2012 election, Mm -hmm. talking about how they had to grow their support among Latinos Um, that Trump is seeming to defy everything about a Republican playbook to win, and he seems to be making this a whole lot about white voters in the fall. Mm -hmm. You think that's a path that Trump can carve and actually get across a victory line?
3: Probably not. I mean, I... I think the smart money is is absolutely on Hillary. Um, uh, But there's a lot lot of time between now and November. And probably one of the stupidest aspects of what he's done is, yeah, he's had this strategy throughout the primary of controlling the news cycle. And he did that again here. But that was a if 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 there in fact was a calculation there, which I kind of doubt, it was a miscalculation, because he completely overtook the news about the State Department Inspector General report and Hillary Clinton uh, and Hillary Clinton's email. So um, I think it was a a big miscalculation from that perspective. But look, there's a long time between now and November eighth, and. Um, things can happen. What's the October surprise going to be? God forbid there's some sort of terrorist incident or something. You know, that could really, something bad happening could change the dynamic here. It could give him an opportunity. People turn on a dime in terms of their sentiment. And and so I think it's certainly not over.
1: But it is not in Trump's nature, at least from what I gather about his persona, to recognize a mistake and then correct the mistake. He oftentimes either doubles down on it or he somehow mm. attempts to talk his way out of it. And here he says that his comment about about the judge was was taken out of context um, and and thus misconstrued. Um, He does have a convention himself coming up um, that is four nights of uh, a national television audience to, in many ways, set the stage for what the general election ought to be about from a Republican perspective. How, if you're Trump, do you use that opportunity to, in my words, redeem yourself? Redemption is something we love in American life. We love it in politics. We love it in Hollywood. We love those kinds of stories. My own reaction, my, my own sentiment is Trump is not capable of that kind of that kind of about-space, but he does have a convention. I thought I'd get your thoughts about how do you use the convention to your advantage if you're Donald Trump. To
3: put out a damn good production, television production. Maybe a Miss Universe contest. Something.
2: <laughs> that's his
3: foreign policy credential. I mean, it's not going to be about policy, that's for sure. I think it's going to be about production. Usually we talk about policy, politics, and process as being the three P's that drive things here in D.C., and, and the things we think about when we're representing clients um, in front of the administration and on the Hill, well, <laughs> I think, I mean, look, there's always an element of production quality, certainly to a convention, and obviously more broadly in a presidential campaign. I think here we're going to see that taken to a whole different level, and that may have some impact.
1: Mark, thoughts about the Republican National well, Convention? Uh, yes. Set aside, for just
2: purposes of this answer, morality and the other dimensions of this this situation, as a strictly political matter, he's got a real challenge. Because he got here by saying these things. That's how he got elected. These are not new or different. These are the remarks that got him nominated. To show up in Cleveland as the guy who gave that speech last night is a real problem for him. Last night, he was reading poorly from a teleprompter. The very few times he improvised, he was right back in the soup with our African Americans. And... I don't think the people who came out and stood in line for his rallies were very happy with the guy they saw last night so i I don't have much advice for donald trump
1: <laughs> well before we pivot to the to the general i do want to i do kind of i want to take a little bit of a step back and sort of get your reactions to sort of the defining moments of this primary season because I think there were several but we can talk about. We'll start with the Democrats mark. What, what what were kind of those those real defining moments that that stood out to you?
2: Well, I think the defining moment of the Democratic primary season for me was actually last night. It was Secretary Clinton winning decisively in California because the story throughout as we said earlier was she can't put him away, they don't like her, they don't want her, and meanwhile she just kept winning and winning and winning and winning some more. And the defining moment, I think, was last night when finally, when she had to not to win the nomination. She did that, as far as I'm concerned, in Nevada months ago, but to change the narrative She needed that, and she got it. And that, to me, was the turning point for her in this primary season. Howard, any defining moments on the Democratic side for you?
3: Bernie's incredible turnout is, um, it's not one specific moment, but just the, well, actually, I do have a moment. Um, I think the comment, and I think it was the first debate or the second debate, "Everybody's sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails," was a a very important moment in in the Sanders campaign. I think, if he, and the Clinton and the Clinton campaign, I think um, he made a miscalculation very early on, not to um, to use Trump or, Trump's word, not to hit back. Not the hitter and I think um that was a mistake, that was a political mistake. And if he had that to do over again he'd he'd probably do it differently. Um I mean look, his crowds were amazing. I think given this was this is an authenticity election on um, that that was the conversation and, and I think he did really, really well as far as um as far as that's concerned.
1: You know, it's interesting, I think, in the way that the Democrats structure their primary through the proportional system, Mark, you, you know this very well, once you build a lead, it is hard to relinquish that lead. Right. And and I think for me, I don't think you you talk about the way she ended the race. I don't think we can discount how important that Iowa win was, considering what happened in New Hampshire, losing as bad. As she did, and then being able to come back and win Nevada. Right. Um, and I think that that was the moment. And we talked about yes. this: of if you, if Iowa a point, two points the, the other, other way, Nevada a couple of points the other way, and all of a sudden she's zero for three. Well, you know,
2: one for four very early on, and what that and would I suggest. Four months ago to the day, you and I sat right. in a bar in Manchester, <laughs> New Hampshire, watched her lose and lose badly, and we said it's her moment of truth. If she tears her campaign apart now, she's in trouble. If she stands up and stands tall in Nevada and can win that, she's she's won the nomination. And turns out were a change. We were right. (laughs) And
1: and, and I think her, her campaign manager, Robbie Mook, put a statement out. He was asked roughly a similar question, and he said, we stuck together. And I think that if you look back to the challenges of her infrastructure in 2008 versus where this campaign is, not only did they stick together, they stayed with their game plan and respected that it was going to be a long and expensive process, and that winning Iowa was just as essential as winning California at the end, and understanding that there were going to be some ebbs and flows. And panicking in politics is a real easy thing to do, and they didn't do it. And so I think that, 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 to me, is probably the, the, the true defining moment of that campaign was not hitting the panic button early and then even after Michigan, where right. I think for for arguably the first time Bernie Sanders thought, wow, I might actually
3: have a shot at there. this. I can win this thing.
1: Um, and, and so I think that's interesting. Howard, let's pivot to the Republicans, defining moments on the Republican side.
3: So I have a few. Um, Low Energy Jeb, Lion's Head, and Little Marco. <laughs> I mean, I, I really think if you look back on this election season, those names are going to be one, if not the thing that people most remember. They stuck. Um, I think the Christie takedown of Marco Rubio in New Hampshire, huge. Um, Trump bouncing back after Wisconsin getting pummeled there huge and and the the money aspect of this Jeb Bush raising over a hundred million dollars and and disappearing while Donald Trump spends very little money and and dominates free media and I think the money thing is is going to stick on both sides of the aisle. I mean, what Bernie did, raising money in small dollar donations, I think is, is revolutionary. What Trump did, manipulating free media, um, I think revolutionary. I think these are some of the things that are going to stick.
2: Mark? For me, just as the defining moment of the Democratic primaries was the last, ex of Washington, the last day. For me, the defining moment was the first day when Donald Trump announced his candidacy. What is absolutely clear and unarguable and still stunning to me is that he stood up there at Trump Tower and said, this is who I am. Mexicans are murderers and drug dealers and rapists and I'm going to build a wall, and I'm going to make Mexico pay for it. And four months later, he's the nominee of the Republican Party. And every day in between, that's who he was. That's who he is today. That's who he will be every day between now and the election. And the defining moment for me was that he defined himself in a way that nobody in this or any other room thought was ever going to work, and and it did. And that's why this isn't over. That's why you, you got to wait till November eighth. I think the uh,
1: the thing that continues to stick with me in this race is, is on the Republican side is is the what if. What if there weren't sixteen other candidates? Mm-hmm. What if there were two, in opposition to Donald Trump, and if those two were Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio? What
2: if there weren't winner take all? Right. What if there weren't
1: winner take all um, primaries, and what if the media obsession with Trump was spread, again, among a few as opposed to having to be apportioned among so many others. Um, I think that that, to me, stands out. This large field actually very much, it sounds, we we talk about it in the sense of Trump bested 16 other people, and, and that is, of course, right. But that large field really worked to his advantage. It was very, very difficult for anyone to really force the electorate into a choice until it was, until it was too late. I think, to me, that's the, that's the defining moment. Well, I want to I shift to the general election because, by all accounts, we're going to have, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have major party nominees, and we're going to be looking at what the general election uh, really means as, as both uh, Secretary Clinton and Donald Trump um, present their case and their narrative at, at their conventions. And you all will be in Cleveland. You will obviously be in Philadelphia as well. So we'll, we'll certainly be back with a preview of, of both conventions. But I do want to throw some numbers out at you in terms of where we, where we start today. Um, if we look at this race demographically, Hillary Clinton has an advantage among African Americans, 86 to 9. She has an advantage among Latinos, 68 to 20. She has an advantage among young people, 55 to 32. The only demographic where she is behind Donald Trump is among whites. She's 16 points behind. But among college-educated whites, they're tied, 44 to 44. The electoral map, Mark, and Howard, we have both talked about it, generally comes down to 10 or 11 states. The states where I have it, Colorado, Florida, Iowa, Michigan, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Wisconsin. President Obama won all 11 of those states in 2008. He won 10 of 11 in 2012. It seems like from an electoral college perspective and a demographic perspective today, Howard, an uphill climb for Donald Trump?
3: Oh, it, it certainly does if you're taking a historical view of the electoral map. and But this could easily turn into a momentum election, which is why I think Trump is, you know, very much in it. I, I, I discount the kind of history at this point. I think we need to get through the conventions, see how things settle out, and see, see what happens with Hillary's emails. I know you guys don't like talking about that, but it's, it's still very much out there. Um, and see if she can, I mean, look, she's had a great, she had a great last week or five days, whatever it is. She's gotten her voice. Um, can she keep that up? Can she be thrown off message? What they're going to throw a lot at her. Um, how does she run? Can she convince people that she can be the president of the United States, um, not the divided states? I, I think it's. I think that's huge. You know, I thought her answer in the first debate about who her enemies are and saying that they're Republicans was a horrible moment for her. She's gotta reverse that narrative. She's gotta convince people that she can lead the country as a whole because, gosh, do we need it.
2: Mark, thoughts on the general election? I agree with just about everything that Howard said. It is a long time until November 8th. And as Howard eloquently said, uh, a lot can happen. And Hillary Clinton cannot rely simply on Donald Trump to lose it. She has to go out and win it, which I know, Howard, is the point you were just making. But I do want to close with two facts from the demographics, uh, Blake, that you were just talking about. There is all this speculation that Trump can put New Jersey and other states in play, because he is going to convert white Democrats to Republicans. The Reagan Democrats are going to come back to the Republican Party today. And it's only today. It is only today, and it's a long time to Election Day. Today, according to all the reliable polling, Donald Trump is getting a lower percentage of the white vote than Mitt Romney got and Mitt Romney lost by 4 million votes in the popular vote and he lost 332 to 206 in the Electoral College so not only is Donald Trump not likely to get enough Latino votes to win to get enough African American votes Asian American votes Muslim American votes young people forget all of that Today, he's running behind Mitt Romney with white voters, and that fact, as much as any other statistic, is, is one that is really hard to overcome. Well, we will be back um,
1: pre-conventions to talk about what we expect in Cleveland and in Philadelphia. we got two big weeks coming up in July. Uh, lots of dynamics that, that I suspect will evolve in the in the time between now and then. I certainly want to thank everyone who uh, has listened to our call today. Um, we appreciate it. You can go to uh, our website and check out uh, all of our content on uh, on the presidential election season. Mark and Howard's uh, media appearances as well, and the archives of, of all of these calls. Mark. Howard, great to be with you guys again. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
2: Thank you,
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your lines.